hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, he's honestly, he's going to be, he's going to join us later on. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, it is October, which means we're doing our special October bonus horror-themed episodes, which are a ton of fun. We did one last week for Diversity in Horror. Good show, good ep. Feel free to find that now where you can find our show. Uh, but this week, on our show where we talk about various things in horror, we have a very special episode I'm very excited to do because I have multiple guests on here who are all very big fans of what we're talking about. I'll drag it out as much as I can because I know one of our guests is getting very restless, and I'll keep doing that until right now because I'm going to announce what the title is. It is our Friday the 13th 40th anniversary special. <laughs> That's right. We are going to talk all about Friday the 13th this week. Uh, we will talk mainly about the first movie since it is the film that's dealing with its 40th anniversary, but we'll get into other aspects of it, including the legacy and obviously the many sequels. So, to get into it here, joining me for this episode discussing Friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary, we have from Why So Blue and the host of The Brandon Peters Show. He fell down the stairs, stuck his hand off a corkscrew, and got a meat cleaver to the face. It's Brandon Peters. Ted, you got a corkscrew? Ted? <laughs> corkscrew? Also joining us. From Joe Blow and the host of Vinny Space's Sounds Scary. While in bed, he was stabbed multiple times straight through the mattress, then bent in half backwards. It's Jimmy O. But what about the boy? The boy that joined the lake? The boy Jason? Ma'am, we didn't find any boy. And he's still there. He's still there. He's still there. Hi! <laughs> and lastly joining us, we have from Weissel Blue and the founder of Phil... Uh, bleh. From Wise to Blue and the founder of Flicks for Fans, he was pulled out of his tent while in his sleeping bag and banged against a tree a bunch of times. For good measure, it's Jason Coleman. His name was Jason, and today is his birthday. <laughs> and it is. It is. I'm Jason. Yes. Hello. <laughs> and I'm excited. We're I was, all I was, nerds. I was named after We're that all move. nerds. Come on, man. I'm going with I, hey, That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. There we go. Glad to have you all three here. I know you guys are excited to talk about this. I know you guys are the ones that brought this up because I wouldn't even thought about doing Friday the 13th so for 40th anniversary because it just did not occur to me. But it makes a lot of sense. To walk. And so here we are. Um, yeah, that is – this should be fun. Um, let yes, me throw some uh, real quick show notes here. First up, as I said, we do have our Diversity and Horror episode. That's up on iTunes now. Good episode for sure. That joins many of our episodes that you can find on iTunes as well as on Audioboom where I do have a playlist that – that uh, has all of the horror episodes we've done for the since 2014. I realized that's what I, I finally realized when when these trace back to. So we're doing these for six years. Wow. So we have nice. that that would be 30 episodes worth of horror content, not including all the other stuff that we do that's generally related to the genre that we've talked about over the years. Uh, so be sure to uh, check all that out. And uh, yeah, if you like these episodes, feel free to comment uh, on our Facebook page, Twitter, wherever, because uh, we like doing these, and it's certainly fun to hear back from you know fans that appreciate the horror content that we put out there, because it's certainly a lot of fun every time we do it. All right, so let's uh, let's <laughs> let's get into it, guys. Let's get into Friday the Thirteenth. Do it. Let me let me let me let me start off by saying, by the way, somebody smarter than me sent me a thing on the significance, the spiritual significance of Friday the Thirteenth, and it says that I quote. Before patriarchal times, Friday the 13th was considered a day of the goddess. It was considered a day to worship the divine feminine that lives in all of us and to honor the cycles of creation and death and rebirth. And I think that's fitting because, like I said, the, the very first film has the amazing Betsy Palmer, which who I think embodies some of that. So just wanted to put that out there. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. as we get into it, let's, so let's just start off with Friday the 13th now, released in 1980 on May 9th, a day after my actual birthday. Um, oh. Not 1980, but May 9th. My birthday's May 8th, so I just thought that was interesting. A lot of May Fridays, by the way. A lot of, like, sometimes, like, sometimes you think they come out like later on, but no, they're, they're summer camp movies, right? So they come out during the summer. Um, directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Let's. How did this film come to be? How did this film get made? What 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 led to the creation of Friday the Thirteenth? I have some answers, I'm sure, but I know I'm sure you guys know a lot more about that. So, Jimmy, let me go to you. Where like where did this film come from? Well, I mean, I'll start off. You know, Halloween was a success, so they're like Sean S. Cunningham was making family films. He was making children playing baseball and shit and i i never seen that movie and that's i was gonna make no i'm not even gonna go there um yeah so basically they're like well how do we do this how do we get in on the action so they made a poster a poster Mm -hmm. indeed like well okay well then they're like okay then suddenly they people were interested and they're like okay now we have to make a movie so they made a movie and it's awesome brandon what happened next came it came about you know like jimmy said he saw halloween and immediately felt like he could do that and make a bunch of money and immediately secured the rights to the next scary sounding holiday which friday the 13th was always the unlucky day so that's why he nabbed that and easter then, was taken. then they, yeah they figured they had to make a movie and this ends up becoming like a local new jersey film like this is basically paramount's not involved they're getting it and it's a lot of local flavor uh, Tom Savini comes up from Pittsburgh to do the special effects. They'd like what you know what he did in Don the Dead, and he just he, you know he kind of wows them. They they cast this locally, and they had to make this movie. Struggling to to find out in depth more from there, but I mean that's pretty much fair enough. Pa- Paramount gets involved. They become they become a distributor. So they go go make your little fun movies, and then we'll pick them up and distribute them later. They don't get more hands on till like the till the fourth one the fourth one's the first uh studio produced film and and going from the first three to that fourth one it's immediately apparent there's helicopters in it there's there's big shots and everything and the cast is a lot more used to acting <laughs> in film than i'm not saying like everybody's bad in these but there's just a a level of prestige that hits with the casting once you get to that but the first three and this one was kind of like a local film little independent production just yeah. coming off the success of halloween Jeez. it's amazing how many of these really quickly sorry uh, it's amazing how many of these summer cat movies came out at the same time this was the one that people just flocked to I, mm-hmm. it kind of you know the burning became a cult success yeah you know the madman became a cult success but nothing like this. Nothing like yeah. this. Yeah, and Betsy Palmer was their big reach, and they oh, we can get a star, we can get somebody in it, a la yeah. Carpenter, Carpenter getting Donald Pleasance, and by getting Betsy Palmer, a lot of so a lot of Friday the Thirteenth success, while it's a knockoff of Halloween, uh, confirms everything that people liked about Halloween, and then because this is the one that opens the floodgates for everything else, the sequels, mm-hmm. the the knockoffs, everything else. When this one hits big. Everybody wants in, and then from 1981 to 84 is just low, oh. like a slasher every weekend. The and, best, and it's the mainly best. this one. There were other ones coming around in 1980 along with Friday the 13th, but that was where you get, oh, we got to have the holiday. Uh, you should put them in a mask. Or well, yeah. the, the, once the second one comes around, and then there's the the little thing with Betsy Palmer confirms that. So you start seeing 
you have this slasher with all these young actors, unknowns, and then you'll have like your Farley Granger in The Prowler. You'll have John Saxon in Elm Street. It's like they got to have that one guy that isn't quite up to these, like not doing big films anymore, but could give some class and credibility to this smaller film. And that starts happening. Leslie Nielsen in Prom Night, like it just starts happening. Glenn Ford and Happy Birthday. Yeah, good, yeah, Glenn you Ford know? Happy Birthday. But they all seem to have that. And it's uh, Paul Gleason in um, He Knows You're Alone. Like they all sort of have that. And it's, I've always found it fascinating because, you know, Halloween's my favorite film and I love slashers, but I always love this early phase where it's like someone saw Halloween and decided these were the important elements from it. And that's what they did. And it's funny to see who thinks what is, who, who tries to knock off the score, who thinks the insane guy escaping is important, who thinks gore is important. It's mm-hmm. just fascinating to see people's reaction to one movie. And, Jason. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah, I think he's, he's a killer in the next one. Any <laughs> any details these wackos have left out so far? As far as he yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I mean, you can also trace back some of the roots to when Sean Cunningham worked with uh, with Wes Craven on Last House on the Left. And I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, that that kind of showed maybe, Sean, that, the, that you could do things on an independent scale, that you could make a creepy, you know, horror film. But I know Sean had described it sometimes as being he wanted it like a roller coaster so i think that's the difference between the two is i think wes really wanted you to feel that horror whereas i think um sean maybe wanted you to enjoy it more so when so mm-hmm. victor miller took it on, and victor miller when he took it on mm-hmm. he wasn't just writing a, a slasher movie he really wanted to write a story about uh about the, the he was really fascinated about that angle of the mom the mom you know protecting her son and and what that was all about and stuff and an interesting casting thing um that comes about uh with uh uh, Betsy Palmer was Estelle Parsons was originally um, uh, considered for Mrs. Voorhees, who, of course, was from um, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, it was just too it was just too violent. So, of course, everybody knows the story about how Betsy was you know, like, the, the famously clean Bonnie and Clyde was one thing. But Friday yeah, the yeah, 13th, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, well, there are, what do you expect? But uh but um, no, the everybody knows, of course, the story of Betsy Palmer and how she she even she thought the script was kind of disgusting, but she needed a car and it was exactly the round amount of money, exactly mm-hmm. the right amount of time. But of course, as time went on, she really learned to appreciate that role and appreciate the fans who appreciated that role. And uh, yeah, it was great. But I think I definitely think that Wes Craven had some influence on Sean when he originally did this movie. So, but again, mm-hmm. going for that roller coaster feel, I think it was more, it was it, it, a little bit of fun injected, a little bit of goofiness, a little bit of awesomeness. So. And there's, there's a film that influences the first two of these heavily, but they all deny it. Steve Miner, Cunningham, all of them deny it, but uh, Mario Bava's, Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood is a huge influence on the look, the feel, and sure. some exact scenes Even the murders, pulled right out yes. of it. Yes. Yeah. And they've all denied it. They're like, oh, we never saw that movie. I'm like, mm, I think you did. Somebody on your set saw it. Somebody saw Yeah, I, I was actually telling Jason. Somebody lighting it, somebody shooting it, somebody mm-hmm. coming up with kill scenes. Somebody... Also, Twitch of a Death Nerve, if you... Somebody... There's like three yeah. titles. Yeah, yeah, that's one other title of it, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's I did... Bloody and Augur from the... Yeah. From Thunderball, she's in that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good movie too. I, you know, it's and a really good one. Yeah, and I did recently watch it, and you're absolutely right. That 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 the 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 spear through the through the yeah. through the two bombs that's in there. It's that's full on, and it they looks like because it it's a camp kind of setting. It's it's out by a, like a lake, I, I think, and they, yeah. a bay. Look, some would say, yeah, a bay. Yeah. Now, the second one, the second one looks and feels more like that than the first Friday the Thirteenth. But the first Friday the Thirteenth, I just 
I don't think Cunningham's as strong a director as Minor, so he's not quite pulling from that. But you know, for an independent film like this, it's impressive what they pull off. But I, I do mm-hmm. think the directing Minor is a better director than Cunningham, and the second film feels a lot tighter. We're talking about the first film, but mm-hmm. when we're talking about the influence of the Bay of Blood, Twitch of the Death Nerve, it feels more apparent in the second one because I think Miner's able to harness it in better. So before we kind of get more going on to the film itself and other things about it, let's talk about our origins when it comes to the Friday the 13th series. And Jason, I'll start with you this time. When was the first time you saw Friday the 13th? Oh, I remember that distinctively, actually, because it was at a, a it, it actually was a while after it had come out because it was at a friend's house. My parents were not big horror people, so I didn't see a lot of horror movies as a kid. So a lot of times <laughs> I'd had to go over to friends' houses and watch it. And I remember they had a couple of the of the Friday the 13th, and I I was completely enamored. Um, you know, being being younger and and you know, and, and at the time it was pretty it was it was pretty creepy, and and the kills were really vicious and 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 realistic feeling, and least at least to me as a kid. So it, it had a really significant impact uh, in terms of boogeyman and creepiness. And I had already seen I think I'd already seen Halloween at that point. But I was like, but Friday the 13th was just something else. It was it was it was ste- each one had it was sort of steeped in its own style. So but that first one's really raw. It feels raw. So. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jimmy? When was the first time you saw the first Friday the 13th? I mean, <laughs> gosh, I don't even want to say because it dates me so much. Um, I saw it in theaters. You saw a test screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I saw it. I was very young. I was way too young to see it. And I saw it in theaters because I really, 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 really wanted to see it. And I remember when they find the axe in the bed, the film broke. And I was so <laughs> fucking pissed. I was like, God damn it. But it, it, it fucked me up in a lot of ways because I cannot sleep um without an axe yeah exactly i can't <laughs> sleep if, if there's room underneath my bed i can't sleep because i'm i'm sure there's someone underneath the bed that's gonna do the kevin bacon thing i'm sure of it hasn't happened yet though but i loved it I mean, <laughs> there was that one time where they were close but it hasn't happened so <laughs> <Yeah>. far <laughs> all right brandon how about you when was the first time you saw friday uh i had caught so when I was very young, I caught on the end of like the WGN network, they were showing part five, a new beginning. And I caught it right in the, the midst of thanks for the full title, the, the finale stuff going on. And I was like, what? And then just, I, my parents were asleep or something. So I watched it. Like I grew up as a child in the, the, you know, the satanic panic era of all horror movies are the devil and all that kind of crap. My parents weren't like that, but it was kind of the taboo stuff. And, then all of a sudden, like a couple years later, um, USA up all night of all places ran a marathon. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to stay up and watch these and tape them. And I watched the first one. And that's I mean, I, I watched them through USA up all night. And I and even though it was on TV and had commercials and was edited for content, I was hooked. It was like a horror gateway for me almost because I was very young. And that was like the first of like slashers I would see. Man, I was like, this is amazing. Like the 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 pulse pounding thrills and stuff, and yeah. it, watching, and and then I remember because they didn't show part four or part six in the marathon. <gasps> I think it was when Jason Takes Manhattan came out, and um, or that was it was a premiere of it on TV or something. And so I had to rent for and not realizing what I was in for with all the blood and guts. So that was like my best experience with them because that one scared the piss. I mean, I had a kid that was like roughly my age in one of the hero roles getting chased by Jason. So that one really affected me. But 
The first one I did, I watched it on uh, USA Up All Night with Rhonda Shear. No, oh, wow. That was where that was where I caught it. Wow. No, oh, sorry. I was gonna say, notice how everybody's sneaking to see their stuff. I, I think it's awesome. <laughs> like it's, yeah. that's the better way to see it. It's oh tastier. no, I did. Well, no, my mom took is... me to see it. My mom took yeah. me to see it. I know. Oh, I didn't see. Right. <laughs> well, once once they, it broke through, because once I my parents knew I was watching it, they just were like, "Watch whatever." You know, like it was like, "All right, he's watching them." That's that's. I guess that we're there now. So. Thank you, Friday the 13th. I was never discouraged from watching horror films, especially because my mom was such a horror fan. So, like, it was never really a question of, like, can I watch this or not? It was, there were other things where it's like, I don't know about this. But, like, for some reason, horror movies, she's like, yeah, that's why, I mean, I've been watching Hitchcock movies since I was a child. But my first exposure to Jason, I think, was just seeing the cassette cover for Jason Goes to Hell with the very Ah. shiny mask and the very (laughs) crazy monster coming out of it. Uh, Unrated, the version you couldn't see in theaters. Seeing the actual movie, I I have no doubt that it had to be like a Joe Bob Briggs like playing it to some capacity, but I don't think I saw it in full. I think I saw like pieces. I know I'd seen Halloween. I oh, that's saw... a different movie, Aaron. I that, know. That's everything you think it is. I saw Halloween very early, um, and I th- and I think like New Nightmare was coming on on HBO a lot, so I saw that before I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. By the time I got to the first Friday. I think I want to say when I finally watched it like in full for the first time, I was pro- I think it was before Jason X was coming out by the time I actually oh, saw wow. like the movie front to back. Oh. Um, and that was coming. And I was and I saw like, like we saw the preview for it in theaters. Like, I guess I've never actually seen the first Friday the 13th. So I watched it and um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say I'm a detractor, but I'm just not the biggest fan of the first Friday the 13th. I, 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 I think know, it's, 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 it's a perfectly – You just have to watch them in order, though, because, like, like yeah. I said, when I – it, it was the VHS, the clamshells, so it was, like, one, two – I think it was one, two, and three that we had. We watched them in succession, and it definitely helps to watch them in succession. It does. I think I, I'm, I'm not saying I saw – I didn't see Jason X first. I'm just saying that inspired me to watch the first Friday the 13th. But I'll, I'll add right. this. I was saying this to Brandon earlier in the day as I was watching the first three of these again. I feel like the reason I just I never like glommed on to Jason in the same way that I have for for Halloween, which is my preferred slasher series, is because I watched that first one and because it just doesn't like do much for me, it like it does it does less to inspire me to keep going at that point where I'm like, All right. Like even though I know it gets better to varying degrees. Um, it's, it's like, okay. I I just feel like I get disillusioned every time I'm like, What am I gonna do a Friday marathon? Then I'm like Oh, yeah, this first one's like okay to me, where I can watch other wow. ones and be like better. But we can get into that more as we talk about I this movie. Love that movie so much. It's like <laughs> I, I don't dislike the movie. I just think it's fine compared to other Whatever. movies. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> like you want to say, it's not my favorite of these movies. <laughs> like, like, like Jimmy, you mentioned the the burning. I think the burning's great. Like the, the burning's a lot of fun. There's a lot of those other slash That's movies a good movie. from yeah, that I, same I, time. I, I really I like the thirteenth, but. <laughs> Like I, it's look, it's 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 one of the movies. Like I, I think when I first saw it, I didn't love it because it, it wasn't as cool as Halloween, and uh, I, I was like, this is kind of lame because the killer just shows up, blah blah blah. But I, I got to tell you, throughout the years and and recently, obviously with Flicks for Fans, we did the 40th anniversary screening. I, I've grown to really love the movie, like genuinely love this film. Like, I, I don't know, the, the dialogue works for me, the, the performances work for me. It just, it's one of those movies that I think it, it's just got, it's like, you know, it's like Nightmare on Elm Street. Heather Langenkamp isn't great in that movie, but she feels legit. She feels genuine. 
That's what this movie feels like to me. Genuine. For sure. If you look at this versus the sequels, I do think that that remember how you're saying the studio came in at a certain point. It definitely looked more polished, yeah. looked more 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 expensive. But this one had again had that feel of Last House on the Left in terms of its shooting, not in terms of its tone, but definitely in terms of the shooting and the style and the the you know unknown cast and something. I mean, you know, you know Kevin Bacon now, but you didn't but then. So I, I I definitely feel like yeah, it was going for a gritty, realistic type type of feel, and it's definitely a a, a very different feel. Than the, than the movies that come later. I don't disagree with any of that, and far be it for me to take away the fandom you guys have for a movie. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's only, you know, it comes down to personal preference. That said, Brandon, you mentioned it already. I do think Steve Miner is a much better filmmaker than Sean Cunningham, which is part mm-hmm. of what the issue I have is. I Conceptually, I, and like, as far as bits and pieces and of things that make up for the first Friday, there's a lot of good in there. I, I, mm-hmm. I recognize that. There's a lot of ingenuity in there, and Tom Savini, of course, doing what he's doing. There, there's mm-hmm. stuff in there that really works. I do think that a a better director or a more seasoned Sean Cunningham could have made a better movie out of that. Uh, and I I say I say that thinking like, well, that's is that not fair to other you know, is that not fair to him because it's like one of his first movies or what have you? Well, I look mm-hmm. at like Evil Dead and Sam Raimi's fucking out the gate doing amazing work with his direction. In that movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, yeah. I, I again like you guys Although love it. Cool. The, the, I don't, you know I, what? The acting in Friday the Thirteenth is better than the acting in Evil Dead. Yeah, but I think the to- I, I think that the the tone <laughs> commands that sort of like it does it's. It matches what the film's doing. For sure. But I mean, I, I I think Savini helps this movie greatly. Like, I, I think agree. that he's, yeah. a, he's a big factor. I like, agree. Um, and yeah. Betsy, Betsy Palmer is kind of amazing in it. I mean, it's... Oh yeah, it's one of those, but, like, well, she's method. So like she lived there. She lived in the camp for like four weeks before she started shooting. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, all right. And this is this is. I mean, I would like we talk about. You know, it's a sequel that sets the tone for the rest of a series more than the first one. And this one is quite different. I mean, it's a murder mystery, basically, mm. which yeah. that that goes away. I mean, they try to bring that. I mean, yeah. part five gets a lot of flack, but I'm like, that's the one that's trying to take it back to the original, realizing, oh, it's a murder mystery. Uh, but that's a that's a factor in this one that's not really present in all of them. And you don't watch part five really thinking it's a murder mystery the first time you see it. I mean, well, because it's like you can't you don't and, make a like, how do you make a mystery out of this out after the first movie where it's like, what else right. do you do at that point yeah. to like preserve? Well, I mean, this? you can you can with five. Yeah, I'm sure you do a good well, way. Of okay, making you're talking it, about five specifically. Yeah. But I mean, as far but, as we're making a sequel to right. Friday the 13th, there's only so many options you can do with that yeah. at that point. Right. Right. But I mean that's that's one factor here that's not in the other. It's it's great and one of the biggest cheat murder mysteries of all time, but it's still that's that's what it is and there's it's a lot of fun trying to figure out who's doing this. And there's a lot of cool setups that going back I, I think is fun to look at when they you know, seeing like, Oh, it, maybe it's Steve Christie, maybe it's you know, so and so. It's definitely not crazy Ralph, but You're saying this is a cheat mystery? <laughs> yeah. Well no, yeah, this one the killer doesn't what clues do you have? About it being Betsy Palmer until she no. shows up with ten minutes. No. Oh, I see what you're saying. A, I mean, yeah. well, I mean that's a, that depends yeah. on the. I mean, there's no way you solve this thing when the killer. Till, I see what, when I the see killer what you're saying. You're up. saying it's it's an impossible to solve mystery because it introduces a, a right. new elements way later in the film. It asks the viewer to be involved in figuring out who does it, and then says, "Ha you could never have guessed this because we never clued in on anything." Mm. I guess it comes. I guess it's because like I saw Scream before I saw this movie, where it's like, um, there's never a part of me that like didn't think that there was Jason or Jason's mother involved in this series. Yeah. Well, all they all they mm. talk about is that's is me. That's me Camp personally. Blood. So yeah, I, I understand. Blood 
got a death curse. Had they talked about it closed because a child died throughout and mixed that in the conversation a little bit, then yeah. she comes and you're like, what was the last name of that kid? And then, I don't know. But How does, there's none of that. It's just Camp Blood. It's got a death curse. Big, big tangent, because I haven't seen this since 2009. 10? The remake. 9, right? Yeah, 9. Yeah. Nightmares mm-hmm. 10. Yeah. This one's nice. Yeah. What what? Because I, I remember that movie has like a really extended opening. Like, do they go over the kid drowning in the lake? Yeah, the, she, yeah they, they start at the speech at the end of the movie. That's where they start. Is they start at the speech Betsy Palmer gives, and the beheading, and then they go through a another opening that is supposed to be your kind of here's your Jason with his sack head for a, a group of teenagers, and then the movie Squished. starts. Yeah, it's yeah. Squ- it's squished, man. That movie. It's it feels like taking, the... it feels like taking all those movies and squishing them into one. Yeah, it's the one, fr- two, three, and four. Like, yeah, the for the uh, the Betsy Palmer element is literally the opening credits. That's mm-hmm. it. Got it. That's yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And they were actually, I don't know what. I'll that get movie to it eventually. When I watched my screen like, factory Patrice, box it. Yeah, Patricia Clarkson was like rumored to be playing Mrs. Voorhees in that remake. I remember that. I remember that. Away, and then. So oh, that would have been, been cool. It, it must have been a yeah. bigger part at some point. I've seen three Jason movies in theaters. Uh, Jason X, Freddy vs. Jason, and Friday the 13th, the remake. <laughs> so, yep, that's the two, same one. Two of those with my, my mom. Age. <laughs> so. Only one I haven't seen in the theaters, part two. For some reason, I did not see that in the theaters. I, I've seen Jeez, everything you're, else. You're too scared. Yeah. You forgot your axe. It, no, it was. I, I, I'll be honest. As a kid, again, I was way too young to see this movie, and it just scared the crap out of me because I was like, "Well, shit, you can't go camping." I never. I hated camping because of Friday the 13th. I refused to go camping. Like my parents would go on these camping, you know, when I was, a, you know, when I was a teenager, and I'd be like, "No, f that. Jason's out there." Stupid. I get you. So I, I get you. I have a pool. Sharks live in water. And sometimes it's they weird. Do. It's like, I don't, like, they do. I don't know. Pools. I don't know. True. Like I, I watch Jaws and I'm like, sharks in that water. What means you can't be in this water? I, I, I can't, argue I'm, can't say I'm wrong. Like, mm. Sure, I'd be able to see it. It's clear. There's no waves, but I don't know. It could be in there. It's dark. There's a night. shark in there. Yeah. All right. Well, there's that's, yeah. Exactly. That's a, that's that's enough of our origins and our relationship to the. We'll get back to this more because I do want to talk more about the kind of the sequels and where things led and what have you, as well as I assume as a version of ranking these or to some capacity if you want to. Uh, but let's get to kind of what's in this movie. We've already mentioned some of the stars, but yes, there's a young Kevin Bacon in here. Who else is in this movie? Jason, who else is in this movie? Uh, the great Adrian King, who uh, who plays who plays Alice. And it, again, it, a very what you were mentioning about um, a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, a very authentic feeling, kind of like like a heroine that you don't expect to be a heroine. That I really yeah. like it's easy to 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 know the heroine's a heroine when she's built and strong and blah blah blah. And, but if she's just a regular girl who's kind of forced, just like Jamie Lee Curtis was, to do you know mm-hmm. uh, you know to have strength and and do great things, it makes it so much tastier. So her her work in that movie, I think, is is she's is really I, kind of I, yeah. I well, think I think I think part of the key. I just having watched this. I haven't watched this in a while. So having watched it last night, seeing uh, Robbie Morgan come in as Annie early on, you think. Yeah. Based off how this film's structured, you think that she's probably right. going to be like the main, right. the main character, and they yeah, kill her right. off like right away. Like so, it's it's got some moves. Again, I do like this movie. I'm <laughs> not against well, the movie. <laughs> and I like that Alice isn't so like pure. Like there's a there's a hint in this movie that she was her and Steve Christie were shacking up together. Oh, they they a, were. Yeah. Come on, we know they were. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
Robbie Morgan, by the way, reminds me kind of of your of your Drew Barrymore and Scream kind of thing. Not with the namesake, but just yeah. with the, diverting the audience and and mm. uh, and and giving them a you know giving them something uh, something she that they don't think is going to happen. She doesn't even make it to camp. I know. Wow. I know. There you yeah. go. Who else yeah. we got? And of course the great, and of course the great Walt Gorney from Cruise Crazy Ralph, man. Yeah. Oh, love Crazy Ralph. I'm sorry, I, I that character's cheesy and awesome, but it's just I love way, Crazy Ralph. It's the way he's amazing. Done, the costume, the bike, I love it all, man. And he's he come, amazing. He, he comes back to narrate the opening of Seven. I mean, it's beautiful. It's like it's you got that grizzly voice. It's like this camp is yeah, it's it's cool. Harry Crosby is another one who was actually uh, I liked Harry Crosby in this. I actually I really like this cast. I legit like this cast a lot. Harry Crosby, who I'm trying to think of, uh, who's the girlfriend? Who's Kevin Bacon's girl? What's her name? Uh, what Janine Taylor? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think so. Marcy. 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 Yeah. Marcy. Janine Taylor. Yeah, Janine Taylor's. I always, I had a crush on her because this movie. I thought she was cute. She has a good death too. She has, I mean, she has a death that you think you see more than you do. You never see like the axe hit her in the head, but it's it's a good kind effect. Of a, uh, the they, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. you don't see in this movie. The funny thing is, all you see is death aftermath. You never see any like. Well, you got Kevin Bacon. Slash, I mean, that's you the, do have Kevin Bacon. That's, that's the one they that's go. That's the most like. Oh, no, in Robbie your... Morgan. You see the. They cut her throat. And, I mean, and, and 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 Betsy. Palmer. And Betsy Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, you mentioned that and like, I, I hear what you're saying, Brandon. Yes. There's, yeah. there's a lot, there are a lot of deaths that are, I mean, there's not a ton, but there's, there's a few, there, yeah. there are a few that are more implied than actually seen, but it was a fairly grisly movie. I mean, there is yeah. an unrated cut of this and it was, you know, rated R, but then I believe what the MPAA was like, I think we let you get away with too much. And then for part two, they had to tone it down, right? They, they, yeah. There was, there was right. considerably less score Absolutely. by comparison yep. than, the, than the next one. And then part three, I guess they're like, yeah, we can let them get away with it again because they have three effects and it's not as bloody necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they kind of went for went to town. And then and of course, part four is just gushing. Yeah, the, the awesome. rest the rest of them, it you know. <laughs> yeah. No, not part seven. Part seven got hacked, and so did Jason Take Manhattan. That's when they started yeah. cracking down on all the horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, so you get you get a good run there, and then yeah. And doesn't the new set have some sort of uncut version for, for part two? For part two, yes. Part two, they found a VHS tape that has stuff which i don't know what they'll be allowed to because part of the reasons to like the shish kebab death on the bed is cut because the actress i can't remember her name her her breasts were shown and she was underage when she shot the thing and that's why yeah. it was cut that's why that's gone which i never knew for years and then someone pointed that out. i was like oh okay obviously kevin bacon's in here as well we've mentioned him already Who? um the baconator come on uh, kevin kind of, bacon coming Go off Kevin. of uh coming off a of box office Box, huge box office hit Animal House right at this point. Oh, the guy from Hollow Man. Yeah, yeah, I know him. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, the, the trigger effects Kevin Bacon was in this. And he's, uh... Oh, trigger, trigger effect of the Elizabeth Shoe. That movie rocked. <laughs> and uh, Mom. obviously he became like the biggest star out of the cast here. Uh, I, I assume they all do like the convention stuff. Is Kevin Bacon cool with this movie? I assume he is, right? He, he has an entry here. You want me to read it? Yes. Sure. Here sure. being what? What does here mean for listeners? Uh, the Peter Brackey's book, which is called Crystal Lake Memories. It's a recounting of a, the cast members. They wrote in. They wrote their memories. They kind of tell the tale of making the film. There's an excellent eight-hour documentary off of this book with 
tons of interviews. And the only thing you're going to find from the lead actress from part six, she sat down for an interview, said, this is what I do. And then I'm done. And nobody bothers me again about Friday the 13th. So yeah, it's, it's that, that doc is uberly comprehensive and just amazing. Take that blade runner. Yeah. So Kevin Bacon says, when I first started out, I had the idea that there were two sides to acting out of work and star. That was a misconception that was blown apart when I realized that there was this whole middle range of actors who were making a living in the theater, playing a wide variety of roles, turning or tuning and tightening and mastering their craft. So I took whatever acting work I could get at the time. I worked as an extra and I tried successfully to land the commercials. I did soap operas. That being said, I think I was still really I was still really careful not to make work decisions based on money. Friday the 13th, honestly, it was material that, for whatever reason, I didn't necessarily feel connected to. But I tried to take the size of the budget and the size of the part and the size of the paycheck out of the equation. And then a huge variety of things open up to you because there is something about a truly collaborative effort that really feels right. Movies are an isolated medium. You're You're taught or learn to look out for number one, yourself. Rarely do you encounter something that's really my concept of what an ensemble is. That's his contribution. He might have more, but that's his. Yeah, I think that's. I brought much. it up with him once. It was fun. He, he likes he's, it. He, he, he's yeah. in the commercial where he talked about it too. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to. He's not like. Uh, there's a couple of actors that you. Hart Bachner, I, I I know he refuses to talk about <laughs> the terror train. Refuses. Really? I'm wow. like, that's your best film. <laughs> what about Urban Legend Final Cut? Does he talk about that one? Can't yeah, stop. Probably. Can't stop talking yeah. about it. <laughs> He's wow. walking down the street with posters saying, hey, you remember me in this movie? <laughs> I actually like that one. I, I don't mind it either. It's no, colorful. It's, fun. it's a yeah. colorful movie. Yeah. And probably one of the most memorable deaths in Friday the 13th. I mean, even if it, oh, yeah. it isn't necessarily yeah. your favorite, I mean, besides Betsy Palmer's, it's it's pretty memorable, man. I mean, it's it's, it's a great, we had, you know, we, we yeah we hadn't seen stuff like I mean, it's, it's easy to, to kind of see it now or do it with CGI or whatever. But nobody had kind of seen like that, that close up that it was pretty it was it was Savini at his best. So great yeah. work, man. Well, let's talk about that now as we kind of get to the kind of the impact of this film and like what like what it did that kind of separated out. Obviously, yes, we've talked about it being inspired by a number of things, Halloween, Baba. But like what did what did this movie do differently? And where, where did that go as far as other movies from there? I mean, we talked, you know, Brandon, you already mentioned as far as opening the floodgates up to other slasher movies. But what was this movie doing? What was this movie that what was the ambition here? It kind of became more like kill centric rather than uh, stalking. I mean, there's a stalking there. I mean, it's 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 obviously apparent, but this one kind of took it to a more primal level, more uh, core of like what the blood and guts of things are. I mean, character works a little less than like your Halloween um, set them up, knock them down. It, it, it's, it has the murder mystery aspect, which a lot of slashers will borrow from it. And um, I, yeah, I think it's just, it's isn't afraid to get grisly. What Halloween made you assume you saw, they actually showed you. So Halloween is the door you're scared to, to know what's behind. Ha- Friday the 13th opened that door up and showed you the horror kind of, if that's the kind of difference. And what were you seeing exactly, Jason? Like, how did how did that work with Tom Savini's makeup? Like, it was what was he doing to kind of set things apart there? 
Well, I think it took it to, I mean, it took it to another level based off of the, the stuff he had done with Romero. Um, you know, that, that, that stuff was, was, you know, was very creatively open and, you know, people were dead and you can create whatever you wanted with that. But these were, these were actual murders that were happening. And again, to give it that roller coaster feel that Sean Cunningham wanted, I think that's, that's what, that's what Savini did. He gave you kills that felt real, you know, so that when you, whether you, felt for the characters or not, which they hoped you, you, that you did it on, on some small level, that when mm. they started to get killed, you felt it, man. You, it was, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it was, it was a crazy, I, I think some of the subverts that you're talking about, like where you don't see the axe going in and stuff, mm -hmm. I think does add to the roller coaster feel. If you just showed everything blank, point blank, it wouldn't be as fun. And so then the, the Kevin Bacon piece wouldn't be as, sho as shocking when you, see, when you see the whole thing. So I think some of the other ones give it that fun feel and that roller coaster feel where you're like, oh, man, you know, um, and adds even more to Savini's work on the thing. But it, it, it's, it, it, it absolutely started a, a slasher craze and where, where mm -hmm. the kills be became the star. You didn't need a star. The kills and the effects became the star. Right. Mm -hmm. Certainly means that for the sequels as well, because this is the only one that. I mean, you can down the line as we get to more recent years, perhaps there's bigger stars per se, but like, it seems like through the eighties after Betsy Palmer, they don't really get anyone that's at a certain kind of level. Right. No, yeah. well, they, get Crispin yeah. they get Crispin Glover and Corey Feldman. Um, yeah, but, they were but it's like, a lot of it's a lot of TV. Guest but you know what I'm saying, kids, right? You yeah, know, it's like, not, it's, yeah, kids yeah, making the rounds it, on it's, NBC, ABC. It's not the yeah. same as like finding that one veteran who happens to join the cast as well. It's yeah. just it's more of who's well. Who's, I mean, who's, four, who's four is stacked. I mean, they got people that are recognizable from other movies in that one. That I mean, from at the time, they're forgotten now. Like you got the girl from uh, Mer uh, American Ninja. You've got the guy from um, Last American Virgin. You got you know, Chris McGover, Corey Feldman, uh, the girl who plays Trish was in like Roller Boogie, a lot of other things at the time. Like there's people in things people were seeing at the time. Roller so, 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 so if there was a if shot there was, by Dean Cundy. If there was a Weinstein style nineties horror cover, you'd get all the faces in a row on those. Right. <laughs> well, you also had like part seven had uh gosh, why am I weekend at Birdies guy? Uh who Jerry was Kaiser. You know, pretty yeah, 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 Jerry Kaiser, yeah. Successful you, actor. You had uh, uh what was the other one? Um Kevin Speartus is kinda hot at the time when he was in seven. Before before his uh his um journey into more um yeah. gay features. It, right. You got Tom yeah. Matthews who was pretty hot during the he was in Return of the Living Dead, did a lot of work back he was mm -hmm. Um, I I respect the fact that you know all of these guys and I'm hearing and guys and gals I'm hearing various people that I somewhat know and somewhat don't but I think you're making my point as well as far as the well people, now yeah guys. but if you go back in the era these were the hot they were trying to push these actors on and they were they were more noticeable then than they are now they're forgotten but as far as like but you're, meaning, like, but you're meaning you're meeting that tadpole character that Donald Pleasance character exactly that, yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. what I'm speaking to yes so I mean I recognize that. that yes there's like you know hot young talent that's out there and whatnot but as far as like you know the veteran of the crew that's really like adding right. a level of not necessarily prestige but like a kind of authority on set yeah, or... okay gotcha gotcha I thought you meant like would, everybody yeah no I but... yeah the, well that, and I was getting to that too with Aaron Gray and Jason goes to hell she's right. you know she she obviously not a huge star but she had a pretty big following buck rogers and and she you yeah. know and stephen williams of of of, of what jason goes to hell was well very well cast weirdly well cast and the worm that worm thing was very popular he did a lot of work in the 80s he was uh he was bart the bear's roommate at one point i heard yeah exactly <laughs>
I mean, and then you get Freddy versus Jason, which has more, some more. That's writing. what I was saying. Like once you get up yeah, there, then you have yeah. actual like. But that's notable. the that's the first one. I mean, Jason X comes in the screen scream era, but that was movie was not planned and shot with scream in mind on it. It had David Cronenberg, so I mean, you know, right? Yeah, heavy hitter mm-hmm. as far as, no, yeah, as, far as acting too. goes, especially. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we've we've talked about this a bit already, um, as far as what this meant for horror, as far as other slasher movies or whatnot have come from the film, as far as being inspired to do more things with holidays and masked characters and you know dead teenager related type movies. What were other people? What were what was the reaction at that time? What were critics saying about this? Well, well oh, they, tra- hated they hated it. Yeah, like, they trashed horror. it. Yeah. All of them. All I, of them. I, I know this answer, but I just want to hear Palmer's you say it. Palmer's number out? <laughs> I think, like, yeah, Gene, so uh, Gene, Siskel. Yeah, Gene Siskel, yeah. in his review, hated the movie, gave it zero stars, and, yeah, put a put an, put an, a mailing address for Betsy Palmer, which was actually a, the wrong address. Um, he, uh-huh. he, he, he was incorrect in the address, he, but he tried to. <laughs> what a dick move, by the way. What a fucking <laughs> dick move. Yeah, I'm a big Cisco fan, but yeah, I gotta admit that was that, that was pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was beyond film, bad. That was a dick this, move. This film built for the, I mean, this film was not built for the critics. I'm sure yeah. the critics for Last House on the Left were mixed. I, I'm not gonna say they were all negative, but they were definitely mixed. And Ebert, I mean, this, Ebert's a good three and a half on uh, on like he loved Last House on the Death. He was yeah, Last House, last house on, the, on the Left. Poster version of that, like yeah. a more, you know what I mean? And I think they were like, no, 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 you, you take it seriously or forget it, you know? Yeah, and that's, that, that's this the, this was not based for them that's well, the, and, and, it's the what's the weird thing though because like halloween was a success but like going this far into that direction it's like nope pump the brakes guys like that they're just not into this yeah. i think the problem is between but but between halloween and this coming in the landscape of america you have the moral majority taking over you have reagan politics and you have all this like and like these like the uh, the panic era like i talked and all of a sudden the attitudes change and like horror is this bad thing and then start like these lower lower level ones trying to be a little more exploitive or suddenly awful to to these critics and stuff and and also even the people making these movies they didn't expect they wanted you to go see them on the weekend and go home and then you'll come back for the next one when it like they there's no the continuity's off they weren't made to be rewatched over and over and over and over and over again they never imagined that when making them they were supposed to you were supposed to go see in the weekend you liked it you went and saw it twice maybe but um also i wasn't in the the, cart the supposed bad press that the movie was getting from you know from a review standpoint yeah only sold more tickets i was interested i was always interested in horror because it was taboo they didn't want you to see it and they always had the coolest cardboard stand-ups at the video store and at the movie theater like (laughs) i always like these characters i'm like i had to see like why are they so scary or like are they really up to that and that appealed to me and then the fact there was like no it's dangerous these are so bad i'm like well i want to i want i gotta see this i gotta know for myself how bad it is and that just yeah it opposite effect silent night deadly night that was another one they turned on like people that and it's funny think that and last uh last temptation of christ were like two of the most uh, like (laughs) the vision like protested movies of that decade and that silent night deadly night is an extension of the friday the 13th like because yeah. it becomes a holiday, where do we take this? What mask do we use now? And then it becomes sale from Friday the Thirteenth. That gets to the end of the first slasher because slasher wave that Friday the Thirteenth starts because that same weekend Silent Night Deadly Night comes out, a Nightmare on Elm Street comes out and reboots the damn genre to an, they do becomes a more supernatural slasher thing to end out the decade. And Silent Night Deadly Night beat Elm Street 
on the opening for couple first couple weekends before it got pulled from theaters, which it's funny, like, oh, the people won, they pulled it. No, they made their money and then some and then pulled it because it was okay because they got their money, their budget, and a little profit back. That's why they pulled Silent Night, Deadly Night willingly. Uh, but that's crazy that that's where it takes it. This It's already people pissing off critics when Friday the 13th starts, and then it pisses off the populace when Silent Night, Deadly Night comes out. But they were never doing these movies for any critical kind of acclaim. I mean, no, again, even no. the studios that were backing it were like, all we have to, the thing we should put our money into is not the stars and stuff. The money we should put them into it is into the effects. Let's make the kills, you know, even bigger, even better. And it's cheap. It's not that expensive. And we'll make like five times our money back. So, right. I mean, it was all, it was all about that stuff. So I mean, a, it, a studio it's, it's, sure is focused on profit. I, I was, I mean, yes, I mean, a filmmaker's not sitting there thinking, well, I hope, you know, they get two thumbs up on this movie. But at the same time, there is pride in their work that they have. Like there is a there, there is an association with quality that they recognize that comes from a different area than a critic might be looking for. Right. Do you think there's a possibility that because when you change from the 70s to the 80s that these movies are now playing in every everywhere rather than just like relegated to like 42nd Street, New York being like that. Yeah. And now they're now they're coming to the the suburban areas they're playing in the they're they're playing in the flyover states they're playing every they're playing nationally rather than just chucking it over to 42nd street playing in places in la and then maybe going through drive-in circuits now I certainly playing, that i certainly feel that's probably a factor in the response as far as mm -hmm. yes we're not just you know there's not just a drive-in it's not just in a couple right. cities it's everywhere and there's a a more conservative crowd that's just not into this thing being in our neighborhoods right. that we can watch or our children can watch god help us or what have you so it's <laughs> it because it, the taboo aspect becomes a clear here's a question i have then that might lead us to a discussion i don't want to get too long because i want to keep focused on friday but with, with the impact of friday let alone the other movies that come from it nowadays or in the past you know several decades of took talking about horror the association with that genre becomes it's not just about something spooky and scary. It's, you know, guys of a knife that stab people and make it really gory. Do, do you see how that, um, do you see that impact? Like having this kind of uh, creating a stigma that people have with the concept of a horror film? Uh, I, I, I guess I'm not really sure. Like, uh, are you talking about real life? Or... No, I'm, ta I'm talking about like when people are like... talking about horror movies now, they have to kind of, if they want to talk about it positively or in some kind of favorable way, they have to like justify it first. Right. And so they have to say, no, not one of those slasher movies. that's all gory, a horror, you know, a, a good, it's a good horror movie. Do, do you see how the, do you see I, how Friday and other uh, films like that may have, may have shifted the thought when it comes to what the genre means? I, I think, I think it, Look now, I, I think for when Friday the 13th were popular, that that was that was a they, they, they were considered trash by critics. Mm -hmm. They were considered awful movies. Like you know, uh, Siskel, Siskel Niebert famously did the one episode where they're like, "We're going to show you why we gave Halloween a good review, and these are all garbage." But I, there was always that stigma. I don't think slashers found the respect that they did. Really, until I think Scream, honestly, like the critical people were like, oh, OK, they could look back at these movies and go, hey, I see it. I get it. I see what they're trying to do. And and it became more of an understanding of what these filmmakers were trying to do and how they're trying to, you know, they, they're, these movies were never uh, respected. I mean, the, yeah, the slasher, the slasher villains always gotten to me because it's it's personal it's a it's a person 
a being coming after you with a weapon. I mean, something you can see, and they could be that stranger outside that you see. I mean, it feels hum. It feels very human. Very, you know, you can kind of feel you've been in an altercation with somebody before. You've been, you know, what they can bring, and um, to not know, to have a stranger that you don't know what's on their mind and unpredictability, it's kind of a creepy thing. And that led for like a decade of being what horror was to like horror fans was considered and like it's like oh it's a guy with a mask coming at you with a knife that's horror and then then horror becomes you know something else or or there used to be like a monster like the frankenstein monster or dracula and then it became like radioactive things for the 80s it was a guy with a knife that's what i'm asking though i mean yeah we've done plenty of episodes talking about the you know the decades of horror and the shifts in the genre Mm -hmm. shifts in what studios are interested in making or what audiences are interested in seeing but in terms of do you do, have you have you do you notice how compared to earlier times when you talk about a horror movie and you are thinking oh like Dracula or something now or following the 80s when you say horror the association automatically goes to it's this gory thing that I don't like as opposed to having yeah. any sense of respect for it. I would say it's that same thing the roller coaster ride the sense yeah. of fun. I think I think that bothered a lot of people because if you look at the original Halloween it's not staged that way. There's nothing wrong no. with it. It's a great film but it's just yeah. not staged that way. And so these movies were kind of staged in a way where you were waiting for the kills where you were having a yeah. bit of fun. And I I think that disturbed a lot of people who were who weren't necessarily into horror movies and they were like well not only are you watching a horror movie but you're enjoying it and there's kills going on here so i think they just weren't getting the tone and the vibe and the fun feel of it and that that was what kind of started to encapsulate all of these of these slasher movies that would make you have fun um so i think that's a big factor and i I think a thing they they get the wrong idea of, of thinking people just love to relish in the death. I think it creates a whole new world of filmmakers, film lovers and creators because they, when you see that, you're like, how did they do that? That looked real or how, and then they learn about effects. They learn about filmmaking and it it drove people. I think the horror crowd of a lot of the genre fandom knows the most about filmmaking than maybe any other other ones, because they want to know like, how did they chop a head off? That looked, cool and then they figure out they learn stuff and then they start to try to recreate things and and become themselves like it's very it's oddly inspirational to watch you know these mutilations and then someone's like oh how'd you do that but it's in a it's not in a mean or ugly fashion it's i want to learn how to make movies i like these movies and you're learning about prosthetic effects shooting things right lighting things right and all of a sudden boom you're making your own movies and i think that these horror films from the 80s certainly had that magic to them to try to do that because now and now with horror and stuff there's a lot of cg that goes with the sci-fi so you just learn computer graphics and things which is complicated and a talent in its own right but in the physical craft of things that's what i think the 80s slashers brought because it was just amazing you like how did they do that how they pull that off that looked real and you had things oh. like fangoria magazine and whatnot mm-hmm. to kind of further yeah. supplement that desire if you're into that celebrated kind of area. it yeah. And I think yeah. when, when the 2000s came and you got Saw and Eli Roth and a lot more grisly 70s harsh films, they kind of forgot about this, how people thought about the 80s ones. So now they're not as looked as maybe down upon after that because you had a whole decade of just slaughter. That I'm, I, I'm convinced that there's a little more respect for them now simply because, look, anytime you have a... a, a a franchise or what have you that lasts 40 years. 
you know, yeah. or Halloween's case, however long, you know, a few more years. I'm I'm too dumb to add that up right now. 42. Uh, but yeah, 42. There you go. Um, right. No. Oh, yeah, you're right. 1980. I was thinking <laughs> the 42, 43. Um, I think people are more willing to. Oh, yeah. You know what? Hey, and, and look, freaking you see Jason everywhere. You see him in commercial. He's a, he's a pop culture icon. Yeah. He's a pop culture icon. So I think there's that. I think pop culture has kind of made them heroes. I mean, dude, my kid knew of these characters. I, I wasn't so quick to take my kid to see these movies, but mm-hmm. he knew the characters. He knew Leatherface. He knew yeah. Jason. He knew Michael Myers because they were everywhere. You go on, you see them on murals. You see them in shows. You see they're mentioned in on Jeopardy for God's sake. Well, but they became the new Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, Absolutely. Wolfman. And they're, right. I mean, time passes and then they become Halloween decorations for your house when Absolutely. nobody would have done that in the 80s. Now they're, now there's like kids decorations and stuff. Like, oh, let's get the Michael Myers lighting out and put it on the house. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, How there, was a, How there was a time nobody would have done that with Dracula and those guys too. They were not, not freaked to out. not to play too far into this as a negative, but I do think comparatively, when people look at these things in a fond light that aren't necessarily like you know horror fans like we are, I think part of that comes out of nostalgia and like a pastiche that they're admiring True. as opposed as opposed to pure quality admiration where I know some of I'm, them than I was back then myself. Fair enough. But no, I, I, but I do, but I, I do think comparatively, if you look at the universal monsters, they're more likely to say that's, those are good movies as opposed to, this is something I remember from that time. That was fun. I, I, and I, 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 I can understand that being, that sounds mean. That's not me saying that, but I, I, I feel yeah. like that is part of somewhere where some of the admiration comes in as far as it's not that I like these movies. It's that I like what they represent this weird time where this thing was happening. And it was a lot of fun to go to. I, yeah, but... I don't, I don't know if I agree. I mean, yeah, for sure. Like if you look at, if you talk to most people and you think Dracula, the wolf man, uh, a creature from black lagoon, People are like, yeah, they're great movies, but to be fair, they had the, they had some snoozers too. They didn't have, they, they weren't all yeah. perfect. So, but I think with these movies, yes, it's nostalgia. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, I think because horror was pushed so far, especially with you guys mentioned Eli Roth, you mentioned uh, Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. I think people are like, oh yeah, they they seem kind of quaint now. If you think about the axe in the face not so bad you know when you see something like hostile where the, the, the I, platinum I, dunes version of these movies right yeah, right exactly right. I, I think there's a, a kind of innocence to them it's like you know it's like looking back on movies like caddyshack or or stripes or you know they were always great like your critics weren't g- killing themselves over the oh masterpieces but they were having fun and i think people were are a little more aware of, yeah, it's okay to have fun. It's okay well, I to mean, skip right there. They dude. weren't praising Ghost of Frankenstein. They weren't no. praising, like, Son of Frankenstein. Uh, they were the monster out of the House of Frankenstein and stuff like that. They weren't, yeah. they weren't praising those. And it's usually, I mean, the first ones and such, they get that. But those were also cinemas new. They were just got sound. Yeah. And there, there's something to say. And a lot of people that could write about them, like, a lot of guys were kids that were inspired by those and stuff like that so now you're getting to the generation where there were the young people now in the position to write that were fond of them so it takes generations to figure out who these are affecting or if they really had that effect and now they're and now they're they're so old it's a study you're like Mm -hmm. slashers are a thing they were 
you know, as much as they wanted to go, like, as like they wanted rap to go away, but guess what? It's here. And now you can study the history of it. So it takes a while to get beyond it to where it becomes easy to look in a hindsight lens than when it's in the middle of it. And they're just like, Oh, there's so many of them. I just want them to go away. Now, yeah. yeah, Brett, you hit it. You you got it because the thing about it is, with these movies, look at who are fans of these movies nowadays. You have people like Quentin Tarantino that probably dig these movies. You have these great Sam Raimi. You have these great directors, modern day directors, who are like, yeah, I was inspired by Halloween, or yeah, I was inspired. I'm sure James Wan was probably a fan of these movies. I'm sure a lot of these guys were. So. I think that's also when you have a whole slew of filmmakers who grew up watching these or or fellow journalists like us, uh, th- there's a level of respect that has been raised. I think I, I think there's a little more respect for them now than there were than there was when Paramount was like, oh, God, we got another one of these. Oh, God, we got to make another one. You know, I, I just think <laughs> it's complaining when the money was coming in. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they were, though. They were. They treated it like a joke. And it really that pissed me off, man. God damn it! I wanted what? to lean on. I wanted to lean on this question a little bit, just because I there was a, there's been, I've had these conversations as far and they've traced back a while now as far as when someone's trying to basically qualify something for horror and they're afraid to use the term horror to describe it when it comes to movies they feel are of a higher level than just simply labeling it as horror, where you know Silence of the Lambs can't just be a horror movie; it needs to be. Or no, what's the better uh, example? What's the Exorcist uh, branded? What, what was that one? Oh, thing that it, they it's a it it's a coming of age psychological drama with supernatural elements. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't just say horror; you need to somehow qualify it because it's because it's quote unquote better than the other stuff that's also mm-hmm. out there, and it I wow. I just find that to be ridiculous. But at the yeah. same time, I I try I'm trying to look at what is the what is the what is the lens these people are seeing this through where when did this kind of start oh. and where and while i and while i i recognize that there are there's been you know decades of b movies and lesser films that qualify for horror when it comes to the creature features and what have you i do feel like the 80s became like this landslide of like what people seem to see horror as now as far as if you're not saying something specific the generalization is it's this gory thing about slashers and I, I, and it's not that that's necessarily bad or it's wrong, but I do feel like compared to horror before that, the 80s felt like a tidal wave of what people seem to want to associate that with now, where they now have to justify what when they call something a horror movie, which is maddening. Because well, I mean, we're talking whatever. about right now, we're talking about an Agatha Christie tri- tribute with enhanced violence effects. Yeah. yeah. And no, it's, it's 100%. He's Aggressive right. negotiations. Absolutely. No, it, 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 was, it was an Ag- Agatha Christie movie. I mean, a lot of these movies, Happy Birthday to Me was the same way. Prom Night was the same way. You, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think the change was Scream. I think the change was Scream, how we looked at these films. But because, I think the 80s got that because of that sheer volume factor. Because yeah. even if you look at Look at how many movies came out that were horror films that were that were slashers or whatever you want to call them. And they were cheap. I mean, they, yeah, mm-hmm. and they're so. I mean, studios weren't making. Now studios will make you know two, three, four big ones, and that's it. And it's like I think yeah. that stinks. I think they should be making twenty small ones and just right. making one of the hits. And that's what they did yeah. in the eighties. It's just such an inundated thing of so many of those films. And it wasn't just because oh, it was just shit. We'll just throw it out. It was because they, they made more movies, a ton more movies. And mm-hmm. so we got to enjoy some movies that maybe weren't horror or were whatever because 
uh, we got Jim Cotta or something like somebody would go, oh, you'd never do that today. And it's like, why wouldn't we? I want to live in a time where that movie comes out. It stinks, but you still get to see it. And that we was a may, big thing those horror films. We may start seeing that more with COVID, I think. I mean, I, I, think I, I argue. Pain. I argue that hasn't necessarily gone away. It's just gone away from Paramount and Warner, but like major studios. I mean, I, I've seen yes. so many horror movies this year right, right, just right, because right. Magnet yeah. and Magnolia and IFC Films yeah. and Shudder, they have them. Like, they're there. <laughs> they have yeah. them all over the place. No, I meant like on the big scale like that. I know, they yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Yes, so you're... many films, and now they're yeah. like, oh, no, 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 we're not putting out that many. And it's like, oh... <laughs> or it's yeah, also it's it's because there's also like too much thought put into it like universal's like let's do the fucking monster universe let's do a dark universe which in theory sounds great yes put yeah, big stars and yeah. like if you want to in theory yes it could be better i'm not arguing that the mummy was terrible but i think but if you're like yeah attach a big star to new versions of the mummy and frankenstein or what have you there's something right. there at least that's something to be trying like but yeah. i mean it failed spectacularly but still it's like the the attempt <laughs> just shuttered so quickly because you couldn't get it right the first time well i mean let's keep in mind all of these movies that you know even though they were paramount started picked it up they were still cheap-ass movies all these were cheap-ass movies that they could just yeah that factor too yes you know that that's ultimately what you know and that look bloomhouse is figuring that out a lot of places are figuring that out right now they can release a movie that costs what five million and they can make Bloomhouse is the way yeah Oh my God, it's amazing. Well, they're partnered with Universal, so it's yeah. working for them. <laughs> well, right. but, but, look, but isn't it funny this idea of going, oh, like, we'll do we'll do cheaper movies, we'll do we'll, and then we can do you know smaller movies and have more creative freedom and stuff. And I'm like, that was the '80s, man. Yeah. Like, the budgets were small and the creativity was like. Well, that's what I love about that era, and I love about Bloomhouse because you find out who are the really good filmmakers and stuff from that because they're restricted to such a small budget. That your improvisational skills, your adapt, overcome, improvise kicks in, and sometimes you see great stuff, sometimes you see mediocre, but like the great ones, you, you then become even more amazed with what they were able to do with so little because yeah. of, and that's what I love is like these people under this duress of a film that the studio is like, well, just it's cheapy, you, that's it, you no, you get no more money, that's it, mm-hmm. and then you get some funny stuff, and you get you get stuff like. Uh, you know, house or the uh, City of the Living Dead, where Fulci's in the editing and spills his coffee on the final reel, and they have to make a, they have to make a fake ending that looks kind of weird and supernatural because they don't have the rest of the film, they can't go reshoot it. <laughs> and and everybody for years is like, for years is like, what's the what's the deep meaning and connotations of that ending? Dude spilled coffee on his reel, like. <laughs> But I mean, that's what I love about sloppy or prestige. It's just, it's great to see. And I love the Bloom House. When they picked up Halloween, I was so excited. I'm like, this, no one, someone is not going to spend $30 million on a slasher that doesn't need to be spent. And that's, that's where you got the problem with the Platinum Dunes. I mean, Jason yeah. didn't need to cost him. And then it becomes like, yeah. oh, I don't know if we can make a sequel right now, man. I'm like, you don't have to make it for $20 million. You can no, make you it don't. for eight. And it was so polished that it was like, it doesn't need to be polished. We don't care no, if it's polished. No. We just care if it's good, man. Yeah. We, well, you know, I, it's so the thing about making these movies is it's just if you do it naturally, if you, you know, one of the things I always let's, I'm going to get back to the original film real, real quick here. One of the things I really appreciate about this film and the, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. I've seen this movie like probably like 50, 60 times easy is that they didn't 
force the, oh, gosh, we need the jock. Oh, gosh, we need the hottie slut. Oh, gosh, we need the comedian. They were there. But it didn't, it wasn't like, ha ha, ha, ha let me be funny before I get killed. It, I, and it got that way later on. It got to be, I miss that. I miss the, yeah. the, the naturalness of these characters and the natural, they were just who they were. And you actually believed they would hang out with each other. You know, when, when you see the later films, and I love the well, later films, don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's a bit. Right. That's because they're all probably, it's a mix of like before they're hanging out in the actual cabins because they got nowhere else to sleep versus now we have trailers. (laughs) I think like. Yeah, the thing I like to point out. Did they ever have trailers? Sorry. (laughs) One thing they give the stigma of with the kids and stuff is like the, oh, you have sex and then you die. And I never saw it that way. I'm like, I always saw it as that's things, that's something kids do. And that's also them in a vulnerable position. It's not a like, oh, you're bad for having sex. I'm yeah, like, that's yeah, a I, spot. Like, if you're going out to pee, you're vulnerable. It's the kind. That's that's the kind of thing where you know a couple critics or a couple of misread. Pe- a couple like, people say say something once, and then it creates that thing. So every time yeah. you're watching it, now you're looking for it. Yeah. Where like random example the the idea of black guy dies first in the horror movie that rarely actually happens but because you've said it now you're looking for it every single time right. so the times that it does you can point that out even Let's though up, it doesn't yeah. really happen often i mean these these and movies end up being a bunch of old dudes sitting around going what do kids do <laughs> and, and trying to throw it on the screen or what do they say mm-hmm. and they're not they're not usually super old guys they're usually a couple generations off and then they have to talk to the cast like would you say that or, you know, but that's typically what it is. And it, and I never thought, and John Carpenter even said, he's like, that wasn't my lesson of, you have, he's like, it was just this what kids do. And that's you at a, in a vulnerable spot. Like that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, well, I mean, look, look at this. I mean, um, uh, minor or not minor, uh, Cunningham and, um, and Miller, they, they, they've heard the, these thoughts as far as like, you know, the, the idea of the, you know, have you having sex and die or misogyny against the women and whatnot. It's like, these aren't things like we're, we've, we've just, we've delivered an equal amount of violence to right. both genders. And if anything, yeah, the kids men do... are worse off in the slasher movies. They never kids... win. And, and <laughs> yeah, like you've never. said, it's, it's a, it's a bunch of adolescent kids at a summer camp. They're going right. to do things like that's like, it's, people it's forget not... how stupid we are as kids. Like they act like kids are supposed to like, people are like, Oh, I don't, I don't like that cast. Such a bunch of idiots are like, are you really that clean? Do you do you talk? Do you want a proper movie with kids just being clean and and all? That? It's like that's not how kids are. You go around kids. That's not how they are. These kids I are actually closer. I want to see that movie though that you just did. I kind of prop- want to see that. Yeah, I want to see proper um, British children going hold to. Hold on, I'm going to the market. To... I'm going to the loo. Yeah, just, like you know, just blow my nose and then they mm-hmm. get killed. I think that'd be amazing. I want to see that. With you doing the voices. Right. I'll do it. Oh, yeah. All. Yeah. You, not you. That'd be terrible. Fuck um, that. <laughs> I want to move on to the sequels, but there's is there anything else specifically about the first film that we want to, that we haven't talked about at all? I love it. Uh, they knocked off Carrie for the ending. That was it. I mean, yeah, that, let's talk about that, that ending. They, they saw Carrie. Well, let's talk, like, let's we talk about that. that. Let's talk about that. We've talked about Mrs. Voorhees a bunch. Let's talk about the fact that mm-hmm. she's the main villain and it moves on to Jason after that. Yeah. And I love that. Ta- Tom Savini creates Jason and this guy named Ari Lerner, this kid who has ridden on conventions based off this for years. <laughs> and Jason changes, looks, you know, in the next two or whatever. But when Savini comes back in the fourth one, he's like, 
makes the older version of that model of the of the, the kid that comes out of the lake in this one. Like he, that's what Jason is behind the mask in that one, and it's a nice little. Tom Sabine is a clever guy, isn't he? Oh yeah, he, <laughs> I mean he's he brought this brutality from being a Vietnam photographer, and yeah. that's where we get those effects from from his experiences in Vietnam and his reality, his gr- gritty realism. Him and Hooper really brought that to these films um, of the seventies and into the eighties with their effects that no one had seen before. And they were just people working with Savini were just stunned at what he could do and what he'd seen and, and how he was able to pull it off. And he just really changed the game. And I, I, he's one of the most, he's like a super important person in film history that I really hope has a big place. Like he, sh- he should be up for honorary Oscar type things. Like he really should. He was a mastermind. He's taught so many, like he didn't just, do his effects he opened a school he's taught he's influenced so many he's all about helping a next generation helping people he, i mean they even had a show like his um with effects and stuff on sci-fi channel for a while where he tried to crown a new kid uh to be a effects person and he's just been such a good force on there and a he, really kind guy he should be in uh, madame tussauds with a a, rep, a model of him using the, the crotch gun in from dust there you go <laughs> <laughs> While holding his own head from Maniac. That's from Maniac. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So yeah, the ending of the first Friday the Thirteenth does have a big carry ripoff, um, which, but it's a it's a good move. Like it's a good scare or whatnot. It and gets you of, if you're young oh, and you yeah. watch it the first time. It you're like, and I watch it now. I'm like, it's so telegraphed and slow. And like this got me back in the day. Like it's not a quick jump. It's a slow jump jump scare which is funny like i always feel like it's more sudden than it actually is yeah it's very slow but it's weirdly effective i remember showing it to a friend of mine because i wanted to scare him and uh you know it was on cable they they were showing the first two movies and i i was like he he was terrified and i i just I, i i was kind of i knew that and i knew what was happening and i kept going yeah no we're okay now everything's cool and then he saw that scene and he like literally jumped off the floor and freaked out i was i was so happy why do you have Ah. your phone why are you taking our picture why why i can see you aaron i can see you the people (laughs) listening can't but i can we're fine everything's fine how are you But a great combo, just a great combo of all three of those things. Because I think, I think you know, it's interesting that we sort of say, okay, Sean's maybe not as good a filmmaker as Steve Miner was. But I, I think that last shot, I, I really enjoy it. So the mm-hmm. slowness of it, the editing, yeah. the, the, the music, the music, yeah. the music by Manfredi, yeah, it's so good. And, and, and then just the effects on Jason when he comes out of the water. I think the combo of all three of those things makes for a really nice scare. Yeah. So that scare leads us into... Ten more sequels um, that 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 all involve that. Which even Sean Cunningham was like, uh, yeah, I didn't think there was gonna be sequels, man. I was just doing a movie. <laughs> well, and he, and he wanted when when he with the sequel, he's like, oh, okay, well, and he wanted to go the anthology route. Mm-hmm. He didn't think yeah. you should follow it up. Like he did not want Jason to be a thing at all because it was brought up, and he said, no, we should just do another horror story. And before this is pre-Halloween three even. I was gonna ask. This. Yeah, so this, Cunningham yeah, might have ripped off Halloween. But he had the idea of making it his an anthology series before Carpenter decided that with Halloween three. Mm-hmm. So 
It didn't matter. <laughs> they did make Jason movies. They so we did. Got, we got, we got a bunch of sequels. We don't need to go over a bunch of sequels because Cold Cinema Cavalcade has gone over them a lot. Um, <laughs> but but um, how do you want to get into this? I mean, what 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 is there to say about the sequel? Well, like, what, the, what, what, what do you want to talk about? The second one announces that Jason's the star of these movies, and it kills Alice in the beginning, in the opening sequence, which I want to know what the people on that bus that Jason rode to her little place thought of who they were sitting with on there. Cause he gets off, he gets off a bus. Like he didn't you see the remake? He built a tunnel right. that so... went through the neighborhoods and went into Chicago, right. went into a couple other States. It's a long so, tunnel. He I mean, knew the... where she was. It makes sense. Gotcha. So the second <laughs> one is basically a redo of the first one. It's, it's yeah. the first one with Jason and they have an homage to the town that Jared Sundown with his his look. They've even said like, yeah, that's we thought that was crazy or thought it was scary. And it's just I don't know. It's more effective film. And the, after that one though, they did try to bring um, Amy Steele back for a third one, but she didn't want to come back. So they could have kept going with a final girl following her around. But after that, it's official. Jason's the guy that comes back every time. Yeah, which is which is a shame, and I think she even is kind of like, yeah, maybe I should have done that because I, she was such a great final girl. Oh, oh no, she's God. really yeah, she's one of the best. Of she's all my time. favorite. She's still my favorite in the whole series. I love Amy mm-hmm. Steele. Mm. Jason, mother is talking to you. Oh yeah, and they do that weird stuff. Yeah, the keep that mother's awesome. head. That was a, that was great. Fact. And then you get a little you get a little extra Betsy Palmer there mm-hmm. too, which was kind of, which was kind of tasty. So and, I kept it in the canon. And and it has the popular question we've been asking for years. Where's Paul? Yeah, we don't Where's know. Paul? 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 Oh, and you Paul? get to hang out in the town of Crystal, the Crystal Lake, uh, because they go to that bar, that diner and stuff in there, and you don't really see them go off into the city much in any of the other movies in the second one. And not everyone dies, because a lot of people are still at the yeah, bar. Yeah, they're still out getting drunk. Yeah, that's yeah. what... So apparently it's okay to get drunk in Friday yeah. the 13th land. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say Ginny's chase with Jason is top notch in all slashers. That's a really so good, good final. Where she pees because she's so scared. And But it's funny. She pees scared at a rat, not Jason. She sees a rat under the bed. She pees her pants, but not that be of a Jason. But uh, they, bite your they head did, off, man. Yeah. yeah. Do, <laughs> there's some clever setups in the movie where like she sets the chainsaw in the closet in her room. So it's actually not bullshit like it's really there from earlier in the movie mm-hmm. that she could use to fight him but that's a really effective change which through the woods and miner's got some miner's really good at getting jason running in the background he does it in part yeah. three and it's really scary yeah. when you see him just hauling ass like that's something he he does for the first uh four movie or two three and four and then he'll just walk like michael myers from five out yeah, it becomes mm. more lumbering. But, but I mean, five's, that's, that... five's defense is a different person. It's not Jason, so the yeah. mobility's different. But then when they go from six on, he's a well. In 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 five, he decided to walk like an Egyptian. That's what he did. Just to say, like that's what I, I talked about. I had to have talk... a Bengals reference. Did you hear that, Aaron? There was yeah. a Bengals reference. <laughs> did you hear? Yeah. When I talked when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was that's an aspect of it that I certainly enjoy as far as, or you know get terrified by as far as it's not just that there's a guy with a chainsaw, it's a guy that's hulking and sprinting after you that makes it scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that I can see I see that you know having just watched the first three Fridays, it's like 
Jason's on the move in these movies, or at least the, the second right. two. He's on the move. He's actually coming at you. He feels like a threat, even though he's and he also feels more or less human, right? He stumbles around, he gets mm. hit, he falls down and stuff. Like it feels like it's a feasible threat because you can believe mm. it, right? He's not necessary. Like it's not quite the seems to move through walls and can appear anywhere at any time. There's a little bit of that going on in like three. Yeah. Three starts to become mm-hmm. more of a you know omnipresent being, but there's still kind well, of a, a quality there that's like. Yeah, this guy's scary. Like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I kind of dug how I, I, I really like how two goes into three. I, I like that it's one of the rare times it just goes directly into the next film, even though it's like you know a couple of years apart. I really love that. And you know, obviously, it starts off Friday the Thirteenth, and then he has a manic Monday. You know. Well, yeah, because two, three, four is the period of like five days. So three <laughs> is uh three's like Saturday the fourteenth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Saturday the 14th into Sunday the 15th, and then four is like Monday. I am shocked Tuesday. that they never did it. They never did it. They never did a Sunday. Sunday. That's, I Saturday mean, that's, that's truly what they are, but. Yeah. 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 Um, so rather than kind of going through all the sequels, because that's, again, there's plenty of stuff you guys that's can talk lot. about with that. And there's also other episodes we can do if we really want to get to that kind of the level of separation with these let's just you, you don't need to rank all of them or what have you but like what are, what are your favorite sequels when it comes to this franchise jason let's start with you what, what are your what are your favorite entries of the franchise like i said i agree with them about part two i really like amy Steele. i think she's really good that really makes that movie um three has got a special place because obviously you know a lot of things happen in that it is the 3d a lot of things happen and hockey mask all that stuff but, you know, for me, one of the ones that surprised me a lot that I actually enjoyed, and I don't know if anybody else did or not, but was Jason X. I actually was mm-hmm. quite I like Jason tickled. X a lot. That's such a fun movie, yeah. So quite tickled fun. by that movie, um, which I always thought it was going to be crap, but it's I, I enjoyed the heck out of that movie. Well, so I, 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 I think it gets it. It gets what it yeah. wants to do. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, so we I, understand. Yeah. We're taking Jason to space. That's dumb. <laughs> we know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> But yeah, really, really well done. Todd Farmer, I think, did a tremendous job writing that one. So I, I, I enjoyed yeah. that one a lot. You know, there's varying degrees. I must say that that Jason Takes Manhattan was probably my biggest disappointment because I was like, okay, finally, we're getting him out of the thing. He's going to go to Manhattan. He's going to kill people. And then it's like the last, like, I don't know, Brandon would know this, probably what the last, like, 10 minutes of the movie, 20 minutes of the movie or something. They're on a boat for the most of the movie. And I'm like, yeah, it's, oh, it's, come it's on. Like, it's about the last 25. And, oh. and it's mostly it's, can- so- it's mostly Canada. And yeah, what, and that, that, which is what Jason really hated about it. One yeah. shot in Manhattan that's actually in Manhattan, correct? They walk through Times Square. That's they, it. And they, and they go. They, they do a couple things in the subway, and that's. He like, didn't take Manhattan. Yeah, Jesus I was like, okay, what, 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 he gets he gets to uh, he gets to Madison Square Garden, and it says the Muppets took it already, and then he walks mm-hmm. away. Right? Is he kicks a boombox <laughs> in Manhattan. That's what yeah, he does. That's all he does. Out of anger, because because the Great got there first. As a stupid movie, I think it's it's fun, like a trashy watch. But yeah, that that one. I mean, they wanted to do so much with it, but money. They kept losing money and losing money. And that movie was originally set to be Freddy versus Jason. And the director thought he was making Freddy, Freddy versus Jason. York. Yeah. And so then yeah. they, the deal fell through with New Line. And, and then the New Line buys it right after this, but after it. But uh, the guy was set to make that. And then he was going to make New York. And they're like, that's a great idea. Let's do this. And then they kept cutting the budget, cutting the budget. And the boat had to get bigger and bigger. Like they had plans for Jason to do so much yes. more in New York. And it just 
couldn't happen. Like it was supposed to be much more of New York. I mean, the idea was always to have half on the boat and half in New York, mm. but it just it, everything New York kept getting slower. And then they're like, "You're filming in Canada, and, and you get like a day in New York." Like that you was expecting, just for the marketing materials. You're like, you're you're expecting so I mean, much. Remember there was that one poster. poster that said, I have the yeah, I heart yeah. New York, and you're just like, it's New York, finally. Yeah. I like how much faith you guys have in the idea of Jason goes to New York and it's just automatically the best thing you've ever seen. Jason goes like, to New York and focuses on two people through the streets. Yeah. He goes by all these people and he won't kill anybody because he's so dead set. And I oh, love, you know, you know, it's funny, bless his heart. Jason Kane Hodder, who's Jason for probably not anyone's favorite movie except for Jason X. Jason um, X. He's like the most known Jason, and I and I love how he's zombie Jason, but he likes to claim that his biggest contribution he thought was cool was his breathing. I'm like, you're zombie Jason. Why are we bragging about the breathing? Why are we doing that? But um, he's yeah, he's a known commodity in the Jason world. But he starts at New Blood and then goes to Manhattan. Jason goes to hell, and then mm. Jason X. But uh, he was a big fan. Like he's the first guy who took the role as like as a character rather than a stunt job. Yeah, and and yeah. it shows. But like I, yeah, Jason X may have it's, it's not perfect, but trashy movie night, it works. <laughs> it's not yeah. perfect, an understatement. But <laughs> and yeah, Jason goes to hell. Uh, what what Jimmy was saying about the casting and things like that, I absolutely, I think that one made it much more enjoyable for me. It felt it felt it, like a more legitimate well, it's version. Like the of, hidden with Jason, and it's like, yeah. and it's like a lot of people hate it. I'm like, you have before this eight other movies with Jason in a hockey mask walking around. This tries to do something crazy, but this was around that was around the weird time where they decided we have to find a deeper meaning in these slasher villains with spiritual, like Freddy, yeah. Freddy's dead, Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. Um, you have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Next Generation. They're all finding these deeper origins. It's like, this was a guy with a, a, a machete. Like, he didn't have yeah. the demon child of his father, Elias, and and the only a Voorhees could step. Like, come on. But I did like they had the weird kooky town where they were cooking the jason burgers was nice and then the, the creighton duke oh that was awesome like it's great i think it was a little boy in a pink dress when i think of jason boys like <laughs> crazy stuff but that's it and that has one of the best kills in the entire series in the unrated cut where yes. the two couple the couple's Ooh. having sex in the tent and he spears through her and rips her in half and it is amazing and they cut it from the theatrical version but now it's finally coming to blu-ray because mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, when they put out the last set, put out the theatrical version only. But now we get the uncut version uh, and the Blu-ray set that's coming out. And that kill is probably my favorite of the series came from Jason. And they, they the uh, the couple actually were an ex-boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that must have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Talking about a hero taking a fall, if you know what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was another Bengals reference, by the way, Aaron. Just <laughs> Cutting Abby like I'm against the Bengals or something. <laughs> Susanna Hobbs was huge during the Friday the 13th oh 80s run. The All Nighter. The All Nighter. Oh my God, that movie's awesome. Yes. I had to pull out an obscure one for you, Aaron. Yeah, no, it's all the theater, man. <laughs> Jimmy, what are your favorite entries in the series? Um, I love one, two, three, four. Uh, I I've appreciated five more. It, I didn't like it in the beginning. Love six, uh, seven I enjoy quite a bit. Eight is my least favorite. 
Uh, Jason Goes to Hell I Adore, uh, just because it's so fucking wacky. Wait, what's Jason, eight? Uh, Manhattan. Jason, Manhattan. 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 So Jason Goes to Hell, I, I really enjoy uh the uh the uh, the remake i i quite enjoy so pretty much the only one i really don't like and i still watch it over and over again is jason takes manhattan i love this you're still hoping somewhere they're going to come up with more manhattan footage you know like if you could ever like don't make (laughs) hoping if you're gonna remake friday the 13th remake that one please like i want to see that redone yeah or five, maybe. That seems like a fan effort, right? At this point, <laughs> we got guys. We got we. It's like it'll be like a fucking Goonies thing. Guys, we got the script for Jason Takes Manhattan. Let's we make know, it ourselves. I want to take call it Jason versus the cruise ship, but there's only a little bit of cruise ship in this one, and then he goes to Manhattan I, for most. I got I got to give this these guys a shout out because uh, that that fucking fan film don't uh. The one with Tom, uh, the one with Tom Matthews. Yeah. Oh that my God, good, that's yeah. really good. That's like a yeah. good sequel. I was like, I'm watching this movie. It's like 30 minutes or something. I forgot how long it was, but I'm like, what's it called? The, don't go called, in the woods or something like that. Don't go. Don't go. Hold on. Don't go in the. It's something like that. It's a. It's just a. It's a smart. It's it's one dude, Andrew Light Lightly, I believe is his name. Um, Lately or something like that. I I know I'm butchering his uh, pr- the pronunciation. But it's a, a really a good film. It's a really smart, and they're making a sequel. So I don't know if the sequel's been released yet. Don't hike in the woods alone. Okay. Maybe that's Never it. hike alone. Never, Never hike alone. There you that's go. It. That's it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I look. I it kills me that they have not made a thirteenth film. That angry because they've got Freddy versus Jason, which I also really enjoy. Legal I want 13th problems, that's the thing. I know, I know, and it pisses me off. But the thing that pissed me off was there's a five-year window when Interstellar came out where Paramount was going to produce Interstellar, but, like, Warner Brothers wanted in because they always do Nolan's films, so they gave them the rights to South Park and Friday the 13th for five years. They could do it. Paramount could do whatever they wanted with them, and they did nothing. No film came out. Not there was a works. there was the possibility of a found footage one and fans went crazy and they dropped that. Um, then there was talks with fans some went other crazy because directors. they didn't want that. Is that what you're saying? They didn't want a found footage Jason. No. That's how, I mean, I see where that comes from though. Obviously, at the time that makes sense, but also yeah. I could see that working if you like. I mean, put the right put the right people behind it. Like I could see like right. we're filming ourselves going to camp. Yeah. And there's this thing that's coming. Like I get where that comes well, from. Well, that's I guess. technically what Never Hike Alone is. Right. You know, it's, mm. it's a found footage film. To, yeah. So, like, yeah, it's a. I, I there's also the big oh that we want him in the snow. So maybe that'll happen. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I would like. Yeah. Uh, Dead snow. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, they made that. I like them all. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Honestly, look, it's my I favorite. I was referencing the, not, the Holocaust Nazi zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. It's my, it's, it's my second favorite um, Norwegian uh, Holocaust zombie movie. My, my, <laughs> for, my first being Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead. Yeah, um, it's, it's better. It's better. It's a better movie. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a better movie. Sequel. Yeah, it's really good. It's got Martin Starr. It's a good movie. Um, <laughs> no Bengals references for that one, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, just Evil Dead references. Brandon, what's your uh, favorite uh, Jason movie? Uh, Final chapter is my absolute favorite. Um, It's one of my favorite slashers of all time. And I think if you see one Friday the 13th, that's the one because it's got a it's got an intro that recaps the first movies. But it kind of it starts. Oh, thank God. 
It starts with Paul. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it has the Paul scene from part two where he's telling this campfire Jason tale filled with clips from the other movies and builds it up. And then you have one of the finest efforts from Savini. You've got pretty solid acting, good production values. And Joe Zito, man, he's a, he directed this movie called The Prowler, which I love oh, a lot. So and, I, and I think it's one i think it might be sabini's masterpiece there's stuff in there i'm like how did you do that still this day and ending's kind of terrible though the oh. the prowler the ending's a little uh right and they tried to do that with the final chapter but they cut the ending it was the same as the prowler yeah. and then um four is my favorite then six because six is another great one if you watch one jason movie and this one has a self kind of self-realization it's kind of meta but it's still pretty scary and effective and i love part two uh, this is my third favorite. So six, four, two, perfect. I think five is a sleaze masterpiece. Mm. Danny, Danny Seinman, who did Savage Streets, he also shot a porno movie. He <laughs> he did this. He did five, and it's just it's it just reeks of whatever. And they they were they were freaking out about this guy doing this movie. Like the guy who cut five cut used to be a editor for Spielberg. Spielberg told him take take the job, man. And he's doing it. And he I guess. But the movie's got crazy characters. It's got one of the most memorable scenes in cinema history, the, sh- the shitbox serenade. And it's I, I, it's trash. It's got good gore. It's weird. And I, I think it, it, it would kill with a good audience. And I like Jason X a lot. That's That one's uh, I'm big on. Uh, and But yeah, 642 or 462, those are my tops. Easy. What's, what, what was your thoughts on the remake? I'm curious about that. Uh, you know what? It it's I like the thing I like best about it. Like I didn't feel remakeish. I felt like you just tossed it in with like the rest. Like it takes place somewhere. Um, it has. I, I'm I'm I can see the highs on it and I can see the lows on it. Um, overall, uh, it's got some good kills. I like the Jason. I think Derek Mears has been wasted by being only Jason one time. Like oh he was agreed. Really agreed. good. Um. There's some fun stuff. They have a good asshole character in that movie. Yeah, yeah, the, the feather hair. Yeah, He's but, so blonde, blonde, cru- blonde Cruz. That's what I call He's him. He's such a douchebag. It's like, yeah. and, and for no, the the guy's like literally, I, I, my sister's missing. I'm getting away, asshole. I'm like, dude, his sister's missing you. Oh my god, you hate him so bad. He's awful. Yeah. He's further, awful. Further removed from it, I'm more fond of it. But I mean, it's. It's it fine. It's 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 middle of the road in the terms of the series. I don't know where to put it, but I'll, I'll put on. I, I don't put it on often. <laughs> I guess when I go for Friday the Thirteenth, I go eighties. Like that's that's where I head. And hey, Brandon, sometimes it's, next. It's not. I was just gonna say. I I, it's, I don't think I do, I don't think I dislike Marcus Nispel. It's just something. His films are just they're they're so slick. And it just yeah. throws yeah. me the wrong mm. way when I watch mm. them. That's why well, I'm just not big on that right. Texas remake. And I'm just not. I mean. Mm. I thought Friday was fine, but it just feels like it's, you know, if you want to talk about the reasons why I think the first Friday ultimately is a good movie. Yeah, it is that like homemade aesthetic or at least the kind of non-polished thing Mm -hmm. where like I get. Yeah, if you're going to do a remake and you want to do it and you want to have the kind of budget associated, it makes sense to be like, well, what if we did do it with like having that certain level of polish? But at the same time, it just kind of takes away from the experience for me. So it's just kind of like, well, it exists and it's competently made but ultimately what does it mean like not much to me it just feels the 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 movies already are empty calories for the most part and this one's just even emptier somehow i think that's you know like like we're all saying this is 
it's nostalgia. This, this, you know, you, you get this really slick, well-made movie with a lot of familiar faces. I mean, I really enjoy the movie. I really enjoy the remake for a lot of reasons. I don't think it's one of the best, but I enjoy it quite a bit. Right. It's but leagues it, yeah. better than the Nightmare remake, that's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that was bad. Bad. Which is annoying, because if there's one movie I would want a slick apply, uh, application to, that one makes sense. Like, if you're going to make a right. dream demon... Sure, yeah. give me all the fancy effects you got. And somehow it looks worse than the first night. Right, yeah. Fre- <laughs> Freddy was made for CG, and they blew that hard. Like, Yeah. I feel like I say that every year we do these horror specials. That Nightmare remake is terrible, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, when you ask a director, like, a guy doesn't clearly doesn't want to direct the movie. You ask him, like, five times, and he finally says, yes, I'm sure you're going to get the final finest product. Final do it, guys. You want me so much. <laughs> terrible, terrible Anyway, movie. back to Friday. Uh, I haven't gone actually in all of this. I, I admittedly, I have not seen all of these in full and certainly not in years. So I have like a less fresh opinion on like how I to rank them, but I certainly do. I like two quite a bit. I do think that one works well. I am a big fan of Jason X. Um, I'll get to, um, uh, final chapter soon enough. Cause I know that and new blood or, or not new blood. Uh, yeah. New blood are, you know, well liked. Do you haven't so. watched final chapter? I haven't seen it in long enough time to have a distinct memory of it. Oh, so good. So good. So, so good. Oh, my God. I can't believe you haven't seen it. Well, that'll change in, like, a week. (laughs) So, So what else? What, what, What else now? Is there anything else we want to talk about as far as Friday the 13th goes? We've been going on a while. I, I, I mean, I, I kind of think we, you know, yeah. yeah, I think we're, I think we're good. <laughs> I mean, let me let me let me let me let me play, let me phrase this question. We've already talked about the fact that there hasn't been a thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth movie, which is insane. Mm. Uh, what what would you what would the ideal version of that be for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm. I mm. I would like a, a period piece set in the winter, like eighties takes place, fit it in with where the others were randomly, because uh, I like to think that you can take a lot of technological hamperings of modern times out of the equation and just give a good old church. And you don't have to have the, Oh, we have no South service out here in Crystal Lake or things like that. You can just make a good traditional slasher. Mm. I I think, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Just, I was going to say for me, I just think it needs a great script, you know, like, and something that something that we haven't seen before, because I think we can get, that nostalgia, we can get those kills, we can get that mm-hmm. stuff, but with a really good script. And if you give it to somebody who goes, no, 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 I got a, I got an idea. It's gonna. And that's why the found footage thing. I'm kind of with, I'm kind of with you on that, uh, Aaron. Where, where if it was done right, it could have been really, it could have been something really good. So it, 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 the idea of of taking a really good script and people have time. I mean, look at how many years it's been. There's no yeah, way somebody right. out there doesn't have a great script. Or in this, in the case of say like Darren Lynn Boozman when he did Saw Two, take yeah. a great script. And adapt it to the Friday right. the Thirteenth thing, mm-hmm. so that it, it, it it's something that's tasty. So we go, hey, we had to wait all this time, but look at this great friggin' story, man. But so also, I, don't, I, I don't overthink it. It's script. Friday the Thirteenth. Don't yeah. overthink right. that no. script, you know. Right. I like the idea of look. There's been a lot of talk about somehow bringing some of the uh, characters back, like Ginny and stuff like that. I would love to see something like that. Uh, I would love to see, but I, here's the thing: I want to keep it simple. I mean. The, the the as much as I love Jason goes to hell, they really just it's it's so convoluted and so insane. As you were talking, all these 
oh, suddenly he has to be born. I, it was silly. I would love to see just a, like, I don't know, a simple story revolving around the return to Camp Crystal Lake. So it's like a like like the various final girls or whoever survives they've like been plagued by nightmares for years and they decide to go back to kind of once and for all throw it all out there and get, sure. it, get rid of it and then of course Jason comes in around like that there was, was yeah. There, yeah there was a script that was floating around so yeah. it's the, the the fast five I think it was uh, her movies. I think it was uh, <laughs> that would be cool. uh, I think it'd be fun it'd, it'd be fun to see but again don't go too heavy on the nostalgia i think make it something fresh and and like jason says have a good script a good script with some good kills and you you there you go that's it i hear you i hear you on the nostalgia beat because it'd be you know there's only so much you can do with that especially now when we've had so many films that are hearkening back to that time and Mm -hmm. ones that are bent towards horror specifically think of the final girls i know you guys are big fans of the final girls like that's Mm -hmm. one where Mm -hmm. that's so obviously indebted to it and it's meant with love but it's like how do you make a Jason movie that feels nostalgic when you have other movies that are parroting the concept of it and doing it very well? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I do, as, as much as you guys love this franchise more than I do, and I'm not, you know, against it or anything, I'm looking forward to revisiting it, but, like, I, I do hope that, yes, there will be a 13th Friday the 13th, just like, there why not? Like, that's be. just money there in the bank, it be. seems to me, right there. Just <laughs> call it Friday the 13th. That's there you go. <laughs> That's it. Granted, it'll be the third movie called that, but this one is Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. All caps. Yeah. Well, I think we've had a good time discussing Friday the thirteenth and a lot of things that are associated with it. Um like the Bengals. Exactly, like the Bengals. No. I <laughs> don't know why you hate the Bengals. I don't know where this is coming from. But I, 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 I am happy we were able to have this discussion. I want to wrap this up now. You, let's let's go over where everybody's from. Oh, oh, well, one quickie. Oh, and, yeah. and, uh, as as an as an extra as an extra treat. Remember mm-hmm. that Jimmy and I did a 40th anniversary immersive Friday the 13th screening. Uh, it was uh, it was done on Friday, March the 13th earlier this year before the pan just before the pandemic hit. And of course, right. those who didn't get a chance to go, you can either check out our Facebook page or the YouTube page. And we have my kid put together a Friday the 13th video uh, uh, um, trailer, just like the original Friday the 13th trailer, but with the footage from the immersive experience. So if you didn't get a chance to go, you can relive that yourself and uh, see all the works that Jimmy and I did, including uh, effects done by. Remember, you talked about Tom Savini's school. We got uh, uh, this amazing makeup artist. Her name was Brittany Fontaine, and she is a graduate of the Tom Savini makeup program. And she did yeah. all the effects for our Friday the 13th immersive oh. experience. So if you didn't get a chance to see it, you can go. It's I think it's only like two minutes long or something, but it's it's done in the style of the Friday the 13th uh, trailer, and uh, you can experience that for yourself. It's up there from Jimmy and me. It's a lot of fun. Very cool. You know what we didn't talk about? Um, and that is very cool. I don't want to undersell that. That is very cool. But um, the trailers. Harry Manfred, Harry Manfredini, oh, yeah. um, the composer for at least the first three. Do you do others after? Yeah, he's all going? through. No, he's all of. He's in the whole long. thing. He yeah. kept going. Good yeah, for him. He kept going. <laughs> and he has the same story to tell about it. Yeah. But I mean, he did. I mean, there is an iconicism to the. Uh, the Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Like oh, that, yeah. that really. But I, I think he. And it's watching... got a Psycho Jaws riff to it oh, as well. Easily. Yeah. But watching those first three in a row, he only gets better in my book. It seems like he just keeps like having fun with it. And, oh, like, the Jason variations. Boogie for part three is my jam. Yeah, the disco the aspect. Disco. Oh yeah, I love that. Uh-huh. 
so good. So, yeah, just wanted to shout him out real quick. But um, well, Jason, you you mentioned the the flicks for fans. Where can people find that and more of your work? Yeah, so you can go on Facebook. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Flicks for Fans. Uh, YouTube has got a page with Flicks for Fans and stuff. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, that that uh, that tribute video. Also, like I said before, the um, uh, an inter- career interview with uh, with Adam Goyen in two parts. That's up the video, the video of that. And also writing for Why So Blue uh, these next couple of weeks. I'm going to be covering Scream Fest. So all great things horror. Uh, I'll be putting up reviews of all of their features, and I think it's about 73 shorts, and I'm going to watch every single one. So um, great coverage for Scream Fest this year as well. So check that out. Very cool. Go. Jimmy O, where can people find more of you? Uh, Joe Blow, uh, Arrow in the Head, of course. We live entertainment and Sounds Scary. We have a really good uh, month coming up for Sounds Scary. We have this week, we have Carl Gottlieb from Jaws, and oh. next uh, in two weeks, on the 23rd, we have a very special guest. We have our season finale. Our first season finale is wrapping up. Our t- wrapping up, we have Kevin Smith. So I'm really nice. excited about that one. It's a big, great interview. He 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 tells us the ending to the original ending to uh, Moose Jaws, or you you know. So it's a lot of fun. And uh, you know, yeah, you can find me in all the yeah all the Twitter and all that crap. Thank you. Brandon Peters, where can people find you? Do you have a show of some kind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. This. It's called The Brandon mm. Peters Show. The Brandon, Brandon Peters Show. Which is at thebrandonpetersshow.com and on YouTube, anywhere you can find podcasting. And my writing's at whysoblue.com, Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. And if you like this Friday the 13th chat, uh, next next month is November, where Jimmy oh. and I will be discussing Jason Goes to Hell on the Brandon Peters Show. Yes, we Jason will. In great detail. So. <laughs> Sorry, no Bengals references for that one, Aaron. Like, I don't even know where this came from. Like, that's the- I, have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, but it felt, really, it felt right for me. It felt right. Do, don't you understand? You can find more of my work at thecodageek.com. <laughs> Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at Lead Entertainment for movie reviews, Wise of Blue for Blu-ray reviews, and I'm on Variety occasionally for filmic for interviews. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast at, at Audio Boom, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Everywhere you can find podcasts, you can find our show, along with all their other horror episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They're all variations of OutNow underscore podcast or OutNow podcast. And, yeah, thank you to Jimmy jason and brandon for talking about friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary with me indeed. you're welcome indeed so i guess we'll all uh, we'll all be breaking into the sets pretty soon the, the oh, screen yeah. factory oh, sets yeah. that will be coming out cannot wait so, yep. there you go the night yeah mine is coming is on friday. the night brandon friday uh, the 13th not the not the 13th the night it's coming in the night <laughs> i know poor thing i feel bad for you because I, I wish we could all enjoy them together i got here. something cool to show you guys well let's wrap this up let me say right now that next week's show these guys will be taking a bit of a break but i will be here talking about arachnophobia with uh, professor mike dillon and my lovely girlfriend it is celebrating its 30th anniversary the classic joe dante creature feature uh yeah that's going to be a lot of fun but then these guys will be back on the fourth week of our horror specials where we'll be talking about italian horror and giallo and there's always room for giallo on this podcast. So <laughs> we'll be having a lot of fun getting into that. 
I'm excited for that uh, because it's been something I know Brandon and Jimmy, they've been wanting to talk about for years at this point. And the, Jason and I have been doing our homework and we'll be uh, having Indeed. a lot of fun getting into uh, the realm of very, very colorful European horror films. Uh, but mm-hmm. once again, thank you guys. Thank you listeners for sticking with us on these fun horror episodes. We hope you're enjoying them. But until next time, so long and goodbye. Awesome. Can you All right. <laughs>